I'm Nathan Rutherford, and welcome to Myth Madness. Over the last two episodes, I retold portions of the epic poem The Argonautica by Apollonius of Rhodes. This poem is the best source we have today for the story of the hero Jason and his quest to retrieve a fabulous treasure, the Golden Fleece. He wasn't alone in this adventure, and was accompanied by a whole crew of Greek heroes, called the Argonauts, some of whom I've already talked about in previous episodes, and others who I will cover in future ones. Before starting their voyage, the heroes already knew the location of the Golden Fleece, In faraway Colchis, it was kept in the possession of the land's king, Aetes. This episode will cover Jason and the Argonauts' arrival in Colchis, what happened there with Aetes, and their departure. Up to now, I haven't talked much about Aetes and Colchis. So who was this King Aetes? His name means eagle, and he is, actually, not really a human at all. While it's never explicitly said he's deathless, he seems to belong to whatever species the immortal gods belong to. Aetes' parents were Helios, the titan god who operates the solar chariot, and Perseus, one of the many nymph daughters of the titan Oceanus. Aetes is described as a powerful magician, and his sister was the witch Circe, another very well-known person from Greek mythology. The tradition of Aetes and Circe being siblings, and the children of Helios and Perseus, goes all the way back to at least the 8th century BC. Homer and Hesiod both make reference to this. Around 500 years later, in the Hellenistic period, we get the earliest reference of them having more siblings, another witch sister named Pasiphae. I discussed Pasiphae on the pod already. She was the wife of King Minos, and gave birth to the Minotaur. Around this same time period, we have reference of a fourth sibling, another magician brother named Perses. But out of the four, Aetes was basically Helios' favorite child, as Apollonius' Argonautica poem suggests in several places. Helios allowed Aetes to join him for a ride in the sun chariot, possibly more than once. Apollonius says Aetes came along for the ride when Helios took Circe to her home in the far west of the world, and another time when Helios was exhausted after the gods' war against the Gigantes. Besides the sun chariot lessons, Helios also gifted Aetes with a great big luxurious palace, magic bronze bulls that breathed fire, a fine chariot with four swift horses, a suit of armor, and other treasures. And finally, he also gave some fatherly advice, a warning to beware of plots within his own family. You could say Helios might be one of the present divine dads in Greek mythology, although that is a fairly low bar. While his sister Circe lived in the far west, Aetes lived in the far east. He seems to have been viewed as a kind of emperor figure, a godlike man trained in magic and beloved by the gods, who ruled a strange, prosperous kingdom far, far away. That kingdom was Colchis. It was, in some ways, a real place, located on the eastern edge of the Black Sea, under the shadow of the Caucasus Mountains. It was the site of a sophisticated ancient culture that had roots going back 4,000 years, and the ancient Greeks established colonies in the surrounding area during the Archaic period. This historical cultus ended up a vassal state of the Persian Empire around 400 BC. With the stories of Aetes and his family, the ancient Greeks were tying in a real, though maybe not well-known, place into their mythology. Anyway, 
Aetes was the king of the mythical version of Colchis. His wife is different in multiple sources. Usually she is a nymph, meaning their children are also not technically human. In Apollonius's Argonautica, his children are a son named Absurtus, and two daughters named Chalciope and Medea. After the young Greek Phrixus flew a magical golden ram all the way to Colchis, he sacrificed the ram, gave its fleece, the golden fleece, to Aetes, and lived the rest of his life in Colchis. When he grew into a young man, he married Aetes' eldest daughter, Chalciope. That brings me back to where I left off at the end of last episode. Jason and the Argonauts defeated monstrous birds sacred to Ares and rescued some shipwrecked sailors. I said the shipwrecked sailors were going to prove very important, and here's why. When Jason asked them who they were, they revealed that they were the sons of Phrixus, the sons of the man who first rode the Golden Fleece to Colchis, the man who gave the Golden Fleece to Aetes and married one of Aetes' daughters. They also told Jason that they had been exiled. The shipwrecked brothers told the Argonauts about Aetes and Colchis. When they told the heroes about the powers and ruthlessness of the Witch-King, the crew was seized with horror. Fortunately, Peleus was not deterred, and was ready to cheer them up. They grabbed their oars and rowed on, eventually coming to a river and ready to leave the sea behind them. Ancaeus, the driver of the ship, stopped. We have reached the land of Colchis, he told them. It is time for us to decide if we will use soft words with Aetes, or attempt something else. The heroes left the rowing benches and began their discussions. Meanwhile, on the summit of Mount Olympus, the goddesses Hera and Athena, the divine patrons of the Argonauts' journey, met in secret without the other immortals. Hera asked Athena what she was planning. Will you devise some scheme so the heroes may seize the Golden Fleece and take it back to Greece? Can they deceive the king Aetes with soft words and persuade him? Athena replied, I too was pondering those same thoughts, Hera, but I have not yet thought up a scheme to aid the heroes, though I have had many ideas. Hera suggested they both go meet Aphrodite and ask the goddess to have her son Eros shoot an arrow at Medea, the daughter of Aetes, and charm her with love for Jason. Hera was confident that with the love of Medea, who is a powerful enchantress, her support would allow Jason to return with the fleece. Athena told Hera she didn't know anything about the arrows of love, or how to cause desire in the hearts of humans, but she would accompany Hera to Aphrodite if Hera did all the talking. The two goddesses set out and went to Aphrodite's palace. The palace itself was built by Hephaestus, Aphrodite's husband. Athena and Hera went through the palace gallery where Aphrodite kept the throne of Hephaestus. But he was out, having left to go to his forge and craft all sorts of curious and wonderful things. When Hera and Athena arrived, they found Aphrodite all alone, sitting and facing the door from which they came. Aphrodite sat with her hair covering her white shoulders as she worked it with a golden comb and braided the strands of her hair together. When she saw them approach, she stopped and greeted them, asking fairly sarcastically why such great goddesses had come to see her. Hera said they feared for the lives of the Greek heroes in the quest for the Golden Fleece. Hera told Aphrodite she was especially concerned for Jason. To Hera, Jason must succeed. To Hera, Jason must succeed, because first she would not have Peleas escape the terrible end she had in mind for him after he failed to honor her with sacrifice. And second, ever since he met her when she was disguised as an old woman and he lifted her up and carried her on his shoulders across a river, 
Jason had always been a favorite of hers. Hera told Aphrodite that even if Jason's task was to sail down to the underworld and release Ixion, who in distant days tried to rape Hera, she would still help him. Aphrodite was awed by Hera's resolve, and said she would help, with no favor needed in return. Hera responded that she does not need might or strength, only that Aetes' daughter be charmed to love Jason. Aphrodite agreed and went to find her son Eros. She found him in a blooming orchard on Olympus, laughing and playing dice. She told him she needed him to do something, and in return she would give him a special ball to play with. So Eros set out from Mount Olympus to do the goddess's work. Back on the deck of the Argo, Jason and the heroes were in the middle of their own scheming. Jason asked the heroes if they would stay in the ship, while he went with the sons of Phrixos and two comrades to the palace of Aetes. There he would try and persuade Aetes to hand over the fleece as a gift of friendship. And if not, well, they can decide then if they have to resort to battle. The heroes approved of the plan, so Jason took with him the sons of Phrixus, because Aetes once welcomed their father, and the Argonauts, Telamon and Ogeus. As the heroes made their way, Hera spread a thick mist over Colchis, so they would get all the way to the palace without being seen by any of the natives first. Once there, the heroes marveled at the palace with its wide gates and ordered lines of columns. They passed gardens and four fountains, flowing with milk, wine, fragrant oil, and warm water. The king lived there with his wife, his son Absurtus, and his two daughters Chalciope and Medea. Medea was not usually in the palace during the day, instead spending her time in the temple of Hecate, where she served as a priestess. But Hera, intending to make sure her plan worked out, ensured Medea stayed at the palace on just the same day Jason and the heroes arrived. While the heroes came in the front door and made their way down the hallways, Medea wandered from room to room. Aphrodite's son, Eros, passed unseen through the palace. He strung his bow and notched an arrow. Moving close to Jason, he fired at Medea, and the arrow burnt down deep into her heart like a flame. She darted glances at Jason, and her heart beat faster and faster. Her soul melted, and her cheeks went pale and then red. Soon, Aetes appeared, and the sons of Phrixus introduced Jason and told the king about the voyage of the Argonauts, and how they had come for the Golden Fleece. Aetes became angry, and Jason tried to soothe him, telling him that he wouldn't dare to come all this way and ask if it weren't at the command of a pompous king, Peleas. He told Aetes if he grants their favor, he will tell all the Greeks how glorious Aetes is. But Aetes ignored Jason's words, wondering if he should attack and kill the heroes on the spot, or give them a challenge. He decided the challenge was the better way. The king told Jason, I have two bronze bulls who breathe fire out on the plain. I can fit them with a yoke, plow my fields with them, sow the teeth of a dragon, and fight the armed men that grow out of them. If you can do that tomorrow, you may carry off the fleece. Jason looked at the ground and stayed quiet for a long time. Finally, he reluctantly agreed to Aetes challenge, and with that, the heroes left the palace. While they walked, Medea watched them go. She could barely stand looking at Jason, he shone with such beauty and grace. She feared for him, feared the oxen or Aetes himself would slay him. As they walked away, one of the sons of Phrixus whispered to Jason, You will despise what I have to say, but I have told you about a daughter of Aetes who uses sorcery. 
If we could win her support, there would be no reason to fear your defeat in tomorrow's contest. I fear my mother will not accept, but allow me to go back and persuade her. Jason continued walking, taking the time to think. Then he told the son of Phrixus to go get help from his mother, Chalciope. Back at the Argo, Jason told the assembled Argonauts what Aetes challenged him to do. Peleus, as the Argo's resident cheerleader, immediately encouraged Jason, telling him he would succeed, but if for some reason he couldn't do it, Peleus said he would volunteer. And with that, a few others jumped up too. Telamon, Idas, Castor, Polydukes, and young Meleager all rose up and put themselves forward too. The rest stayed quiet. The sons of Phrixus said aid would come from their mother, who will convince her sister, the enchantress Medea, to help. As they were talking, a dove landed in Jason's lap, and the soothsayer, Mopsus, took it as a sign of the god's will. The heroes relaxed, but Idas jumped up angry. He asked the men why they came all this way to call on the help of Aphrodite, instead of the mighty strength of the war god Ares. Idas wanted to march, sword drawn, into the palace of Aetes and take the golden fleece at the point of a spear. He was not impressed with the plan to, in his words, beguile weakling girls. Nevertheless, over bloodthirsty Idas's objections, that's what the Argonauts decided to do. Meanwhile, back at the palace, Aetes sat in his council chambers, surrounded by his cronies, captains, and flunkies. He raged against the Argonauts, demanding that the ship and crew be watched over. They planned that once one of them died facing the bulls the following day, the other heroes would be surrounded and destroyed, so not a single Greek would escape from Colchis. Down the hallway, Argus, one of the sons of Phrixus, sneaked Chalciope and tried to gain her help. Chalciope told Argus she was so worried about the well-being of her sons with the Argonauts and thought about getting Medea's help too, but feared she would say no. At the same time, further down the hall, Medea slept in her bedroom but dreamed about helping the heroes. She dreamed that the stranger Jason had accepted the contest not to win the fleece, but to take her away as his wife back to Greece. She dreamed she completed the task herself and overcame the bulls with ease. But in choosing the stranger, her parents were betrayed and shouted at her. She awoke with a start, quivering with fear, and she stared around at the walls of her bedroom. Medea, barefoot and clad in a single robe, decided to go to her sister. She reached the door, but shame held her. She turned away, and then back again, unable to muster the will to go to Chalciope. She tried to go through the door three times, and then burst into tears. One of her handmaidens saw the whole thing, and left to go get Chalciope. When her sister arrived and asked what's wrong, Medea told her she was worried about her sister's sons. She feared their father would kill the sons of Phrixus, along with the Greek strangers. Chalciope admitted she thought the same thing. She asked Medea if she could devise some trick so the strangers could win the contest. Medea was surprised, but very happy to hear this. Her heart rose and her cheeks blushed. At dawn, I will go to Hecate's temple and use my charms to cast a spell upon the bulls. She waited, worried, and second-guessed herself all night. But at dawn, she bathed, rubbed her skin with sweet ointment, put on a robe and a silver veil, gathered her maids, and ordered them to prepare her chariot. From a box, she pulled a special herb, the charm of Prometheus. If Hecate was sacrificed to, and a man's body was anointed with the herb, his skin would become invulnerable. Even the sharpest bronze or the hottest flames wouldn't hurt him. 
She kept the plant close and drove her chariot to Hecate's temple. At the same time, Argus led Jason away from his comrades and brought him to meet Medea at the temple. While Medea waited, she told her handmaids about her plan. Soon Jason appeared. Her heart fell in her chest, a mist covered her eyes, and a blush creeped over her cheeks. Her feet became rooted to the ground. The two stood face to face without a word, without a sound, like two trees. Finally, Jason said kind words to her, and Medea gave him the charm. She told him careful instructions on how to use it. Jason thanked her, and then told her he would take her back to Greece and marry her, that nothing would come between their love until the doom of death overcame them both. Medea was going to go to Greece. This was the will of Hera. Medea was a very important part in Hera's plan for the death of Jason's uncle, Peleas. Later, two Argonauts, Telamon and Athelides, went and got the seeds from Aetes. These seeds were teeth from the monstrous serpent killed by Cadmus so long ago when he founded the city of Thebes. How did Aetes get these teeth? No idea, but he handed them over to Telamon to take back to the Argo. At night, Jason went on a long walk alone and made a sacrifice to the goddess Hecate. The goddess heard his prayer and appeared, surrounded by snakes and barking hounds, and shining with the glow of countless torches. The countryside trembled with her steps. The wails of nymphs filled the air. Jason was terrified, but he did not run away. In the morning, he steeped Medea's herbs in water and sprinkled the potion on his shield and spear. His comrades tested their strength, but could not bend his spear no matter how hard they tried. Aetis even tried hacking the spear with his own sword, but couldn't make a scratch. The heroes smiled at each other, happy with the proof the potion was genuine. Jason began sprinkling it over his entire body before leaving for the terrible challenge. When Jason reached the field, Aetes and his fellow Colchians were already there. It was time for the contest. Jason set his helmet and spear aside and moved forward with his shield. The bulls attacked him with their horns and let loose their fiery breath. The flames engulfed Jason, but the potion protected him. He grabbed one bull by the horns and dragged it with all his strength to where its yoke lay on the ground. With the first bull on its knees, Jason grabbed the other and made short work of that one too. When he was done, the Argonauts Castor and Polydukes tossed him the yoke which he tied around the bull's necks and then fastened them to the plow. And with that, he reached for his helmet, which was filled with the sharp serpent teeth he was required to sew into the ground. Jason put the helmet under his arm, and with his spear in the other, urged the bulls forward. They raged and roared, belching fire, but began to plow the field. Jason followed, dropping teeth into the furrows, and then pushing the soil down with his foot as he went. Once the bulls were done, Jason took a drink of cool, clear water, and by then, the earth-born men were just beginning to sprout from the ground. Following Medea's instructions, and the example of old King Cadmus from so long ago, Jason picked up a rock and threw it into the middle of the earth-born men, and then crouched down to hide behind his shield. The sown men, not seeing where the rock came from, began fighting amongst themselves. They leapt upon each other with loud yells and struck each other with their own spears. After most of them were dead, Jason took his sword and quickly cut down the rest. And with that, the contest was over. Jason had won. On the sidelines, grief struck the heart of Aetes, and he quickly made his way back to the palace, scheming about how he could still oppose the heroes and refuse them the Golden Fleece. Back at his palace, Aetes again spent the night with his closest followers, 
using the long hours to plot treachery against the Argonauts. Hera put more fear into the heart of Medea. Back in her room, she trembled like a small deer who hears the baying of a hunter's hounds. She realized the help she had given Jason was not completely hidden from her father. Her handmaidens knew she was guilty, and one could easily let her secret out. Groaning and pulling her hair, she decided to leave. She kissed her bed and stroked the walls. She cut off a lock of her hair and left it on the bed for her mother to keep. Medea snuck out of her home and dashed barefoot into the night. She was glad to reach the bank of the river and see firelight on the other side. The heroes had spent all night celebrating Jason's victory in the contest. She called out to them, and hearing her voice, Jason and the sons of Phrixus came looking for her. She clasped their knees with both hands and asked them to save her. She told them they should flee before the king mounted his chariot that morning. She told Jason she would lull the guardian serpent to sleep so he could grab the golden fleece before they left. She fell to her knees, but Jason quickly reached down and raised her up. He promised to marry her as soon as they returned to Greece. While it was still night, they grabbed a small boat and rowed to the sacred grove where Aetes kept the fleece. Nearby was the altar where Phrixus, following the orders of Hermes, first sacrificed the golden ram to Zeus. Jason and Medea continued alone, searching for the large oak tree on which the fleece was hung. Its guardian serpent saw them approach stretched out its long neck and hissed while rolling its countless coils. Medea approached. With a sweet voice, she called to Hypnos to put the monster to sleep, and she cried to the queen of the underworld, the night wanderer, to grant her success. Jason was scared and followed behind her, but the charm was already working and the serpent began to relax. But before its eyes fluttered shut, the serpent still raised its head and opened its mouth, trying to close its jaws around both of them. Medea quickly drew out a newly cut twig of juniper and used it to sprinkle drops of potion into its eyes, chanting her spell, and putting the serpent into a deep sleep. Once Medea prompted him, Jason rushed forward and snatched the golden fleece from the tree. They quickly left the grove of Ares behind. Dawn broke as they returned to the Argonauts. Each of the heroes tried to touch the fleece, but Jason threw a woven mantle over it and led Medea onto the ship and told his crew it was time to return home. And that's all for today. The next episode will continue with the adventure. I'll tell how the Argonauts evaded the pursuit of the vengeful Colchians and the things they endured on the way back to Greece. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend. As always, thank you for listening.